0: Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope it rained where you live. I don't know if it did or not. Did anybody get out in the rain this morning because you were so happy? Yeah, Stephen said he did. Yeah, may sing in the rain this morning. I've been looking forward to sharing this text with you, not, not, not in a way like for weeks and weeks, just as I sort of fell into it this week and just kind of other situations throughout the week, it, it really began, you know, we talk about sometimes we read the Bible and sometimes the Bible reads us, and this was one of those weeks for me, so I've eagerly Looked forward to sharing this text uh, with you this morning as we've been going through this amazing gospel called John. Um, It's not enough. There's not enough time for it. Um, This is one of those times where I wish we just had days instead of 30 minutes. Um, It's one thing that's really frustrating about preaching sometimes is trying to do Somewhat, in some way reflect God's word with a 30-minute package. Uh, And often, like, that's not how his word works. We can't just ransack it and take, here's three easy steps to go be successful this week. It wants to read us. It wants to be with us. It wants to linger with us. So I hope that this will only be more of a catalyst for that in your life, perhaps, but the point this morning is exactly reflective of what I just said about this is not enough. The kind of the this is a message about not being enough. Do you ever feel like you're not enough? Ever feel like you do you've done your best and it's still not enough? That's the message this morning. Uh, Let's read it together. I'm going to read from the screen because I left my notes in the back. This is from John chapter 6. John begins by saying after this. So the after this he's referring to is found in chapter 5 where Jesus has healed a man who's been sick a long time, 38 years. That's a long time. Cindy and I celebrated, just realize this, we celebrated 38 years this week of marriage, so he'd been sick. Yeah, thank you. Matter of fact, this kind of room's dripping with marriage. Uh, Mateus and Kaylee got married Thursday. They're back there, and they're getting ready to move to Boston. Uh, Maddie and Matt are getting married Saturday or Friday? Friday. There they are. So, pretty cool. Anyway, where were we? After... After this, John says, he's referring to this amazing exchange in chapter 5 of John, where Jesus heals this man who's been crippled for 38 years, and that causes a reaction from the religious leaders, because there's a little problem in the story, Jesus does this on the Sabbath and they say you're not supposed to be doing this kind of thing on the sabbath and of course they were right and that leads to a an answer from Jesus and you can read that on your own sometime if you missed it here recently kind of the core of what Jesus says which has relevance for our message not just today but going forward Jesus says i only do what i see my father doing Jesus is imitating his father and what he does. So that's the after this. So after this, Jesus crosses, departs to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says, boy, the bulb's going out or something, didn't it? A great crowd followed him, for they had seen the signs he did on behalf of the sick. Jesus came up the mountain and sat down with his disciples. The Passover feast of the Jews was near. So, a little cue here from John. Uh, This is either one year or two years before his crucifixion. With John, it's always hard to tell, because he doesn't always tell in order. Uh, but But it's Passover time, we know that. So it's a year or two out of the end of his life. When Jesus looked up and sees this great crowd coming, he goes to Philip. There's one of the characters in our story. Philip, where can we buy food so we can feed this crowd? And then John gives us a little insight. He says, Jesus is doing this because he's wanting to test Philip. He knew what he's about to do. Go to the next slide there, Stephen thinks. Philip answered, 200 denarii denarii was about a day's wages if you think of it that way so 200 days of work 200 days of salary wouldn't be enough to give each person a bite of bread there's a lot of people there one of his disciples Andrew the brother of Simon Peter said to him here is a boy here is a boy he's got some bread And he's got some fish. But what good will they do for so many? (laughs) Jesus said, have the men sit down. So the men, 5,000 of them, so the crowd's probably double that, sat in a large grassy area. So here we have Jesus and a boy accompanied by Andrew standing and 5,000 men sitting. That's what this looks like. So Jesus takes the bread and blesses it, distributes it to those 5,000 sitting men. And he does the same with the fish. And they had as much as they wanted. And when they were full, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I, I love that little part in there does this miracle, you think, okay, now there's an endless flow of food coming. Jesus said, no, 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 gather the leftovers. Maybe he's like your mother, you know, nothing goes wasted. We're going to need them later. So they gathered and filled 12 baskets of barley bread. Let's go to the next one, Stephen. Then the men, seeing the sign he had done, said, this is a true prophet that's come into the world. Normally, we know prophets by their words, by what they say, but also prophets frequently performed great feats, whether it was Moses or Ezekiel, uh, great prophets of the Old Testament. They actually did stuff, Elijah. Jesus knew they were about to take him by force and try to make him king, so he goes and withdraws gets away from it. Let's pray together. Lord, we're not enough. Often our best is not enough. Lord, in our clearest, most cogent moments, when life's squeezing in, We have clarity about that, that we're not enough. Lord, we enter this story where there's not enough, and it creates a crisis. But Lord, you're in the middle of that field, and something moves from not enough to too much. Lord, I pray that this would land with us. There would be something here for us. That we would sit down also with those men and learn. Speak to us, Lord. Your Holy Spirit is present, and we need it. The words on ink, on paper with ink, they're They bring us truth, but they're not enough. We need your Spirit. Lord, you've made it enough because you went before us and took on our not-enoughness so that we might be here. So bring us anew and afresh what it means to be not enough with you. We pray in your good name. Amen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're the other gospel writers. They frequently report big crowds. If you look look at those gospels, we're we're often seeing big crowds around Jesus. This is the first time for John. We went through five chapters before we see a big crowd. Another Bible, for you Bible nerds, what we're reading today is the only miracle all four gospel writers report. This is a common denominator story right here. So it's pretty important to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this story. Why the great crowd? Why is there a great crowd here? Because they've seen the signs, they've seen what Jesus has done, particularly on behalf of the sick. I imagine some in that crowd were probably sick themselves. They were looking for what Jesus had been doing for others. Some of them probably brought a relative or a friend with them. They had seen it, and so they're coming. John likes to talk about signs. Over and over, he's calling, he doesn't use the word miracle when Jesus does something big. He's always saying signs. There's this Song written that came out in 1971 called "Signs." I think I think Stephen's gonna gonna cue it up as we walk out of the room. We were I was gonna walk up to it, and as we were like getting ready, and they're like, "That's that's not the right." It, it, it's about a long-haired hippie boy who tries to get a job, and didn't fit very well. But but John, but but it has a no, don't even have much of, much of a message at all. Really, it's just about signs. But but for John, signs are really important. But for John, it was never about the sign. It's about what it's pointing to, always for John. The sign is not the destination. They, they're pointing to Jesus, and that's the point. So we have a crowd who's following, but they're not really following Jesus. They're following the signs. They're they're kind of a miracle tour groupy group. (laughs) Jesus never really gets all that excited about that part of his ministry. Uh, He's never trying to leverage the energy of the crowd and, and like, Make something else out of it. Uh, he never seems to get particularly excited about it. Because Jesus is not looking for fans. Kind of familiar cliche. He's looking for followers. He's not that interested just because people are attracted because of the energy. His followers. And, that, and that's our first point, maybe, if we're going to have points today. And it's this. Following Jesus around... To grab something from Him, whether that's healing, happiness, or heaven. Those are all great things, by the way. I'm for all of them. Healing, happiness, heaven, all other kinds of things. Without, Without truly coming to Him as we are. Without truly coming to Him with all of our lives available, offering that to him, trying to follow Jesus around to get what we can take, and that's part of why we come to him, let's be honest. But there's this other dimension of coming to him as we are. If that gets missed, if that, if that kind of level of transparency and, and humility and honesty is, is not part of the equation, if we're just there for the signs or the energy... It, it, it misses the point. Not, not just a little bit misses the point, it misses the point completely. Jesus calls us to leave our lives and follow in His. And there's no two ways about it. We, we, we can't make that. We can't dress that up. It's just what it is. When we try to do it our way, it misses the point. It leaves us disappointed eventually. You're going you're to not like this. And most tragically, you will miss the life that's in it. You won't share in it. You won't dwell in it. it. It won't meet you. That's the first point. So Jesus climbs the mountain and he sits down. That's another cue. Anytime a gospel writer says Jesus sits down with his disciples... It's an invitation. They're really talking to us. Because when Jesus sits down after climbing the mountain, it's not not primarily because he's tired. He may be tired, but that's not why he's sitting down. It's not why they're telling us he's sitting down. He's sitting down to teach. So this is like a visual cue. Jesus is sitting down. Oh, grab my tablet. He's about to teach. So let's sit down and learn with him. So, what we see first is Jesus looking. He looks up and he sees. What does he see? He sees a crowd and they're coming. He sees them in a distance. And because Jesus is such a good leader, he doesn't just see, oh, there's a crowd. He's thinking about dinner. He is like your mother. He's saying, how are we going to feed? Goes, so his first movement, watch him. His first movement is he goes to Philip. And says, Philip, Philip's one of his disciples. Maybe Philip was in charge of food. I don't know. On, on their traveling. He says, Philip, where are we going to get food for this group? It begs the question a little bit, why is Jesus asking Philip? I mean, he's Jesus, after all. John tells us he knows what he's going to do, but he's going to Philip. Philip, why are we, we're going to get all this food. We don't have to wonder why, it's right there for us. John tells us, that's the advantage of John, he frequently tells us like what Jesus is thinking, what he's he's doing, what he's feeling. Jesus knows, John tells us, this is a test. This is a test for Philip. So Jesus is taking this kind of food scarcity situation into a test, which is a very common strategy of God, test. Ever felt like you're being tested by God? God frequently tests his people. If you look in the Old Testament, like at the Exodus story, that's kind of where it's like, most evidently on display you know God's God's moving this million of people from Egypt to the promised land north and there's just these series of times where they're not enough they don't have enough whether it's food or water they don't have the resources to cross a body of water they don't have the artillery They don't have very organized leadership, and the leadership they have is sometimes not there. They don't have enough. And frequently learn, God's testing. God's testing. You can read it in Deuteronomy. Even in the New Testament, it often looks back to the Exodus. And that pattern sort of continues. King David is often like praying to God. And and I think it's in uh, 1 Chronicles 29. He says, Lord, I know that you... You test the heart of all men. You want to see if there's integrity in there. In the Psalms, David writes some of them, other people wrote some of them, but it becomes this longing, God, test me. These people who are with God, they, they understand that God is a God who tests. If you look at the Old Testament prophets, they're often interpreting for the community. God's testing us right now. The New Testament is replete with testing language, too. God tests His people. It's not uncommon. Now we don't have to overplay that. We don't have to s- interpret everything that's challenging in my life. I'm being tested. Sometimes, challenge. I'm ch- something's challenging my life because I was stupid yesterday, and you know, that's why it's hard. Or last year, or whatever. Or I'm just human, and it's hard, because I'm human. So not everything's a test from God, but God does test his people. And if we are his people, we should expect it. So the question now is, what is God testing? What is Jesus testing in Philip? What specifically is he targeting here? Well, I think Philip's response, and then kind of how the story progresses, gives us enough to know What's going on here? Philip's response is what? Lord, we don't have it. 200 days salary wouldn't be enough for this. I don't know what we're going to do, Lord. I have nothing to say about this. We lack. And of course, Philip's right. They didn't have it. They didn't have enough. They weren't enough. He's got the facts right. And Philip's going to completely get erased out of the story, as John's telling it. He's right, but he's missing the point. He's going to miss the point. It's easy to be right and miss the point. Anybody identify with that? I can. I'm learning as I get older how to intercept when that's happening. I'm still not very good at it, intercepting it, but I'm starting to get suspicious. When my my voice, when I get spun up and my voice is really like uh, kind of domineering with someone, often I'm realizing there's a good chance right now I think I'm right and I'm missing the point. Of what God might be wanting to do. Um, Philip's right. People can be right and totally miss it. It happens all the time. So, the story moves on. By Philip. Enter Andrew. Jesus doesn't go to Andrew. Andrew comes to Jesus. Andrew takes initiative. He steps up. He steps forward and says, Lord, we have a situation. We got this boy. We got this boy. Now, I don't really know what all that was going on. John doesn't tell us everything. Maybe, like the the word was spread, like there's no food. Did anybody bring food with them? There's There's a collection point you know, by the olive tree, by the creek. Bring your food there. Is that what it looked like? They'd make a big announcement from the front. We don't don't get that information. Maybe it was just Jesus conversing with Philip then Andrew. But whatever, Andrew comes forward and says, Lord, we got this boy. He's come to me with his lunch. And he's offering it. He'd like to contribute it. Here is a boy. So I got to tell you, there's this kind of beautiful thing this week for, for, for me. So I've, I've been hanging out with Zeke this week. I don't know if you can say that. That's Zeke Garcia. And he was, he was over a couple, couple evenings this week. And so I had a blast with Zeke. And so he, he's there, for, there on the other night, and I was like, hey, Zeke, you want to go out in the backyard, run around? He's like, yeah, let's do that. So, so I thought, okay, what are we going to do? So I, I take him over to the, to the bunny trap by the garden. I'm hoping there's a bunny in there. There's, not, there's no bunny, so that's kind of disappointing. And um, so I take him over. We, we got this big sunflower my neighbor, Super Dave, planted in our garden, and I thought, that's a really cool sunflower. I'll go show them the sunflower. We're all, all the, it's wilted, you know. It's not, that's not working. like, Man, this isn't going very well. So I thought, I don't know, I'll, I'll take them to the bean patch. So we go over, we've we got a garden just with beans in it. Well, we also have deer who come and eat the beans. So I'm like rummaging through the bean patch, and, uh, <laughs> and we find one bean. One little scraggly thing. And and I'm going to tell you, Zeke was, is out of his mind. There's a bean. So we pick it, and he's running around with it. We find, we find another little half bean to give to his sister laying there that the deer left. And he's running around with it. He, he wants to show his mom and dad. I don't know if you guys cooked it or not. <laughs> It's still there. Yeah. So then he comes back uh, Friday night, and um, this time I thought, I'm going to go for a sure thing. I knew we had a lot of cucumbers, so we went to the cucumber patch. And he picks a cucumber, and that, that's one of the cucumbers up there. But I think Zeke was in some ways kind of my living parable of this story this week. It was like, first of all, there's just nothing like a boy, you know. I mean, that's a unique species in and out of itself. <laughs> but just his eagerness with a bean and excitement. He comes over Friday night. He busts through the door and says, can we go check on the bunny trap? And so we did, and there's no bunnies. But, but we went and picked a cucumber. And I, this is how I imagine this boy sort of in that mold. I brought my lunch. My mom packed me a happy meal. I'll take that to Andrew. I'll take that to Jesus. Maybe it'll help. I think I'd have probably myself, I would have been more like Philip, we don't have what we need. I'd have been on the phone maybe to the local baker or or say, hey, I know there's some fishermen out there. Get busy. There's the water. I'd have been trying to solve it. Andrew comes to Jesus and says, I don't know if this helps, but here's a boy. That's what we got. And that was exactly what God was doing. He wasn't looking for a baker or a fisherman or 200-day salary. He was looking for someone who would bring what they had honestly before him. And this boy met that criteria. One being. He was going to work with that boy. And, and look what he did with it. I love the language here. John slows down. So Jesus... Takes it, takes this lunch from this boy, and he puts his hand on it. He blesses it. That's our interpretive key right there. What Jesus receives from us and puts his hands on. This wasn't about the boy. The story's not ultimately about the boy in all his cuteness or whatever it's about what Jesus does when someone honestly comes to him as they are even in a situation where they're not enough they know it's not enough i mean i don't know if that little boy knew that his lunch couldn't excuse me feed 5000 people or not i don't know but jesus could it's about what he does With a very, very little bit of faith, Cindy and I have been watching this series called Alone. Does anybody watch Alone? Oh man, it's so good. Our kids turned us on to It's one of those survival things, right? So they they throw ten people up on this these godforsaken places in the world that are cold and filled like the, the current season's got grizzly bears. You can't turn around without bumping into a grizzly bear, and there's ten of them, and whoever's the last person standing gets a half a million dollars. That's kind of how, what the story is. But the thing that's been really fun on this, this one, and it's the only season we've watched, so but, um, is how, th- these are survival experts. They're not like dragging people off the streets to do this. They, these people know what they're doing. They only get to bring ten items with them for this hundred-day thing. And um, what they can do with almost nothing is amazing to me. What they'll build with a little piece of string or, or some, you know, what they'll, you get some vine and string together. Uh, just what, how resourceful they are with very, very little and how they make it stretch. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, except there's a caveat He's Jesus, He's God. He takes this very little and makes it not just like enough. It wasn't like, okay, we got this boy's lunch. Everybody take a bite and pass it down. That wasn't the miracle. The miracle was Jesus puts his hands on it and then they distribute it. Something, I don't know what it looked like, but something strange happened. And it just kept like multiplying as it got handed to the next group. And and this is just sustaining. I mean, just think about how long that's going to take for 5, 10, really 10,000 people. They just keep passing it. it. And it doesn't run out. This crisis becomes a feast. Everyone eats all they could. And that's, I guess, our big point. Jesus knows how to receive what we offer. And make it much. Make it enough. Make it what we need. He knows how to receive what we offer honestly, without pretense, as we are in our not-enoughness. He knows how to put His hands on it. And He knows how to create something Something new, something unexpected, something surprising, perhaps. Something different. You know, the reality is what I honestly have to offer God when I'm really cogent and clear, it it well, not almost, it never seems enough for the situation at hand. It's never enough. There's always greater need than resource. It's never enough. And like I can grumble about that. One thing I'll I'll just be honest with you. You want to know one of the things I grumble with about this building? I want the resources that we could just pour into it and make it really nice. or, Or bulldoze it and rebuild it. Jesus knows how to take what we have. This isn't even our building, if you're new. And make it work. But as long as I'm grumbling about it, he's probably not ready to do that, is he? Because he's always doing something else. I can be right about something and miss the point. God knows how to take our lack, our not enough. And this is where the Gospel meets us. Not in our enoughness, but in our not enoughness. In our lack. When we're not smart enough, we're skilled enough, when our best isn't good enough. And and we have this like really clear picture of this. The cross of Jesus, where He doesn't like just receive our resources that are little. He actually takes our not-enoughness and wears it. Our sin, our brokenness, our sickness, all the injustice we've done, all the injustice we've received, He takes it. And he dies with it. It's not in some experiment for him. It's I'm owning this. And I'm going to die with it. I'm going to let them murder me with it. And then he conquers it. The resurrection. And this is where we've got to linger. This is where we, I wish we had... The day. Because I want to be clear as I can, and this is not going to be really striking, I I hope anyway, but let me tell you something. You are not enough. You're not. You may have moments like I do where it feels like I've got this, but in the challenges of your life and the situations that are coming for you or that you're in right now, you're not enough. You're not going to be enough. And you never are. And so the text is asking us what are we going to do when we're not enough? We're going to be Philip? We're going to be Andrew? We're going to be the boy? What are you offering to Jesus honestly? Let's, let's end like the story does because I think it has I, I, I thought about this as kind of a separate point but I actually don't think it is. So, so the men, after Jesus does this miracle they, they see what Jesus does and, and they, they really say a great thing. This is a true prophet among us. He's come into the world. Jesus is acting prophetically. He's working from God. He's actually doing what he sees his father doing. That's a prophet. He's providing like Moses and Elijah did. But remember, Jesus sees. He sees what we often can't. He knows these men have ambitions that he won't be part of. And that was a trigger for him. So what's he doing? He moves on. He gets out by himself. He was not interested in being the fulfillment of their nationalistic ambitions. His kingdom was not about becoming a great political entity, it was of a completely different nature. He wasn't trying to build an earthly thing, he wasn't trying to make Babylon into Jerusalem. But these men missed it. That's the real tragedy in the story. That doesn't really get explicitly said. These 5,000, they've actually witnessed the hand of God. And now what are they doing? They're trying to leverage it for their advantage. That's what we do. They weren't content with this little boy's strategy, bringing his little happy meal to the Lord and offering it freely. Say, God, do with this what you want. They missed the whole point of the sign. The sign was to point to Jesus, and they missed it. Jesus was calling men and women, boys and girls, to follow him. To leave all that behind, all those ambitions and notions behind, and follow him. To become his apprentices, to learn and be formed in his way, truth, and life. That's that's his vision for our lives. To become apprentices of Jesus. To learn to imitate him with our lives. And learn to be shaped and formed in him. That's his vision for the church. That's what discipleship is. Following Jesus on our terms never works. Coming to him as we are. Offering who we are in our not-enoughness. Will, somehow, God will turn it into enough. And we don't get to control what that looks like. But it's always just what is needed. That's the gospel. Jesus meeting you where you are. And doing something you could never do. Bringing life. He's not just here to make you better. He's bringing life. From your death your deficit and it's a good life it's a wild life sometimes we don't get to control it it's his life this is the miracle all four of them talk about they want us to see it John gives us insider language Jesus knew what he was going to do. He waited on that little boy. When he showed up with that cucumber, that bean, that lunch. Jesus said, "Aha. This is it. That's what I've been looking for right there. been looking for a bean. Not Philip being right. And not someone trying to leverage me. Jesus is doing what he sees his father doing. He found it in a boy. Boys have a lot to offer us. Little girls do too. Let's pray.